think my favorite activity in terms of my daily routine is listening to, to music. I love listening to music. I love singing. If, if I didn't have TV anymore, I wouldn't care. If there were no sports, I wouldn't care. If there was no computer, I'd be fine. Uh, I, I, I need song. And uh, there are different songs that are sung for, for different reasons. So, um, yes, I'm the pastor and I listen to worship music, but if I want to be romantic with my wife, I'm not putting on the songs we just played. It would be love songs. There's other times when we're in a certain mood and we sing sad songs. Um, there, are, there are songs of, of deep pain, even. And there are songs that are, are motivating, right? Uh, when, when you were gearing yourself up some years ago, you'd put on like the Eye of the Tiger. Remember that? Um, there's also victory songs. Like one of the songs that I felt how do they sing this in these events is when there was some championship and, and a team wins and the other team loses and they start singing, we are the champions, which is fine for the champions. The, the, the issue is they would go back and forth with the camera showing those people hoist, hoisting the trophy and celebrating and pouring champagne and other people are down in the dumps crying, walking out with their head down. And then the song would even go to, and we have no time for losers because we are the champions of the world. I think they kind of stopped that when they started giving out participation trophies, but that, that's another story. But I vividly remember that. And imagine, you're like right there. We win this game and we're the champions. And now we end up being the first losers. So um, there's even other songs. I remember uh, when my boys were... Young, they were, I don't know, six, seven, we, going back over 20 years. And, and my wife had went away on a missions trip to Bolivia, and, and she was gone some weeks. And, and when, when she came back, they were like, Ma, you know how Daddy gets like a song stuck in his head, and he just can't stop singing? He sang the same song every day. And she said, what song was that? And they were like, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. <laughs> you know that song by Bill Withers? That was the song that, that I was singing, and I didn't even really recognize it. Like, they ratted me out, and, and obviously that helped me out in one sense until she asked them, what have you guys been eating? She said, and they said, he took us out to eat like every day. She said, but he knows how to cook. She said, yeah, but he said he doesn't like washing dishes. So th this morning, we are going to, to look at a psalm, uh, Psalm 122. And, and many of the psalms are um, songs. And, and, and this psalm is called a song uh, a song of ascent. It is, it is a, or a pilgrim song. It is a song that, that those that were traveling to Jerusalem would sing as they were on their, their journey. Jerusalem is, uh, is, is, is situated up on a hill. And, and the Jews traveling to Jerusalem for one of the three main feasts of, of the year uh, would uh, go out on this journey and they would sing these songs of ascent as they traveled up 
uh, that road. And, and those songs are recorded from Psalm 120 to 134. And it would be a reminder to the people as they were journeying of God's grace, of God's mercy, his provision and his protection and, and of course, his salvation. Psalm 122 um, we're going to be reading out of the ESV this morning, and the title of the message is The Joy in the House of the Lord. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 122 reads this way. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones of judgment were set the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Father, we, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. We come, Lord, uh, to your house every time with an expectancy that your word would do what you sent it to do, Lord, that, that it would nourish us, that it would encourage us, that it would correct us, that it would set our course north, Lord. We thank you, Lord that you said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we come, Lord, with intentive ears, Lord. We ask, Father, that we would have no distractions, but we would be able to hear and receive and feast. So as we give you our attention, Lord, we recognize it is an act of worship to sin under your word, it is pleasing to you, and it does such good for us, Lord. So we thank you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What we just read and, and that which is said and implied here for Jerusalem is actually a, a, symbolic, in a, in a, in a, a symbolic sense um, also for New Jerusalem, also for the house of God. There are many things that are said about Israel, about Jerusalem, that does not correspond to the church. Some people get that wrong sometimes, but there are other things that when you read it, you can see, no, 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 this applies to the church as well. And this is one of those things we state often. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Then it says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. This word that here is, is stated glad is the Hebrew word samak. It means to rejoice. It means to be glad. It means to be joyful, to be gleeful. Joy is experienced naturally in, in many circumstances of life and in human relationships. We receive joy in living. But it's especially important for the people of God who experience joy in response to all that God has done for them. We, we should have a joy. Uh, a, that joy should be a response for all that God has done. The things that he has done could not have been done any other way. 
And to know that we are recipients of that should bring us a great joy, no matter what else is going on, because there is nothing more important in life. But when we think about joy, what, what, what does it mean to have joy? John Piper said this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. In other words, as we see the beauty of Christ, whether it be us reading uh, his Word or experiencing things in life, by the Holy Spirit, it brings us joy. He went on to say that Christian joy is a good feeling. By that, I mean it is not an idea. It is not a conviction. It is not a persuasion or a decision. It's a feeling. Or I, I use the word interchangeably here, an emotion. One of the marks of the difference between an idea and an emotion or feeling is that you don't have immediate control over your feelings or emotions, right? We, we can um, feel something, have an emotion that comes on us instantaneously that we may be able to kind of play it off but we really can't control that coming about, right? So it says here that you can't just snap your finger and decide that you're going to feel something. So let's say perchance, let me give an uh, illustration. Let's say perchance for, for some reason I don't own a bike. but I have a skateboard. And three guys approach me and they want to take my only other source of transportation, my skateboard. I, I, I don't um, say, let me think about this for a minute. This is dangerous. I can get hurt. These guys are big. Conclusion, I should feel fear here. So I will decide to be afraid. Emotions don't work that way. Um, thinking works like that, but, but feelings don't. So how can I actually experience this emotion of joy? if I can't control uh, how I'm going to feel, I can't control that emotion. Uh, you know how? Uh, knowing and believing the promises of God. Uh, we, we know certain things, but your depth of believing it um, is different. But the stronger you believe something, the more your emotions will line up with it. As you grow in your Christian walk, when things come up in your life, you will have a confidence in God in the midst of it because we experience things all the time in life. So, so, so we start out with, what in the world just happened here? Does God even see this? Is God even real? Does God even know? And as we grow in our walk with God and we see his faithfulness that we just sung about time and time again, we don't get shaken as easily we don't become afraid as if there is no hope. No, we come to a place where our confidence in God even dictates our emotions. And, and, and that's why it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? So um, when we uh, know that I can't uh, control how I feel, the way that I think 
often dictates how I feel. Uh, knowing and believing the promises of God. Walking with him in intimacy. The closer I walk with God, the more confident that I am that he's in the midst of my situation. If you're walking with your young child and you're holding their hand, there is a certain level of confidence, no matter what's happening, that they have just because they're holding the hand of their parent. That if that same child was in that same predicament, not holding your hand, let's say they could see you, but you're not physically touching them, there may be a sense of anxiety. If, if they can't see you at all, you're not even around, there might be total fear. So it's also dictated by our depth of intimacy with God, knowing not only is he holding my hand, he has me in his hands. That brings about a sense of joy. Uh, also, not only being with him, but serving him. Serving him and being with his people. See, because when we're not serving him in some capacity, we're serving something. And if we're not with his people, we're with some other people. So joy will come about by being in his service and being around his people. So the joy in my soul is overflowing towards God, is coming from the work of the Holy Spirit. When I see Christ in all that he is doing and all that he is, then my heart is drawn out in, out in joy toward him. The Holy Spirit bears this fruit by causing us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ through his word and through the world. So the text says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. Just like Jerusalem, the church is built. The church is the result of thought, of toil, of care. She is characterized by unity, by order, and by strength. Those things should bring us joy. The church didn't just come about. No, the church was built by thought and toil and care. Every single thing that you see, there's effort put behind this. And human effort is necessary and is part of it, but it can only take you so far. It is God. It, is, it was God's thought to have his church, his institution on the earth. It is his care for the church. It is the toil that was done. And again, it's characterized by unity. That's why we call each other brother and sister. I address people by titles. If someone is a deacon here, I call them that. If, if someone is a church mom here, I call them that. I don't call Miss Brenda Brenda. I'm 56 years old. I'm not calling her Brenda, so that makes me on the, I'm in Caleb's. But I, I don't call her Brenda. Like, it, it can't come out of my mouth. I call others brother and sister. I call those that are younger than me, bro, little sis. Because there's a, with family, there, there's a relationship here. There is 
a unity here. I say this all the time. It's going to be a special thing when we're all in heaven with those that we have served and, and been together. It's going to be different. Like, I, I love Grandma, and I'm looking forward to seeing her. But those that we were in the trenches together that God called to be in community in his house and being about his business, I can't wait till we're just standing there. And, and I'm just there with Crystal like, look at this. And then she says like, wow, you could sing now. <laughs> so there is this unity, but there is also order. God is a God of order, and, and he orders his church. The, the, the church is, is also known by its strength. We're not walking in our own strength. This is eternal business. We are participants because God has called us to be that, and he uses us. But Jesus is the head of the church. It is the Holy Spirit that is at work in the church, and, and he's, he is there in us and works through us and does things for us. It is a joyful thing to be in the house of the Lord and to be called people of God. So it's not only I have joy when I walk in this door. Like if you're a soldier, you're not only a soldier when you're in the barracks or when you're on base. No, that's who you are. That's who you belong to. We are the church individually and corporately, and there should be a great joy in that. And it's all of us. The next verse says, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord were as was declared for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. We come to the church, the place where is the center of unity. One thing that I've always prayed for in this church and that was attractive to me when I came here was the diversity. Is so important. That's what heaven is going to look like. And that's not what every church looks like. And it's not only the diversity from the flags that you see, but there's rich and poor, there's old and young, there's super educated to I'm just getting by. And all of that is fine. And, and, and it is what makes a beautiful community of believers. It's a center of unity and we all come with a common cause to give praises to his name. And then uh, verse 5 said, their thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. When we think about God using human agents to deliver his judgment, um, that is, that's a big task. And, and we see in the Bible that some kings were godly kings and, and some were not. But as he has set up his throne, whoever God puts in power is who he placed there. And, and they're going to be held accountable to him. But he sits on high and looks low. He's in control of every single situation. And we need to, to honor that. And went on to say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They may be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. Where does this security come from? It comes from the Spirit. It comes from the Word. It even comes from the work of God in human hearts. These are her defenses. We, we are secure by the Spirit. We are secure by the Word. We are secure as we gather together. That's why you are not called to be isolated and to be outside of the church. If you are a believer, you have to come into community. It says, for my brothers 
and companion's sake, I will say, peace be within you. The church is about her people. It's not, it's not a building. Those who love God's worship. We, we love to be asked, let us go into the house of the Lord and to even invite others, come, let's go worship together. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. The church is marked by her, her excellencies and her authority and, and her strength. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The church is used as, as a tool for the preservation of the soul. The preservation of the soul. There is um, a right train of thought, and there's a wrong train of thought. There are wrong thoughts, and wrong thoughts are dangerous. Wrong thoughts turn into wrong actions, which turn into wrong habits, and it turns into lifestyles, and, and it turns into legacies. So the preservation of the soul, where you get your mind right, your thinking right, that's part of the job of the church. It is to preserve you in the right objects. Wrong affections are dangerous. Wrong affections are dangerous. We don't even have to expand on that. You already know. Because we're all prone to that. And that is why we have to have right affections. Our affections need to be for the Lord and the things of the Lord. That's what brings about joy. It's crazy how wrong thoughts and wrong affections, we gravitate to those things in the flesh and like Brother Thomas talked about on Friday, it snatches away our joy. That's why we don't return to slavery once we've been set free. But, but we have a tendency to think once we uh, got a little cleaner and feel a little better that now I'm strong enough to kind of handle this too. No, never. No, never, ever, never. Like set high parameters when it comes to your thoughts and when it comes to your affections. But that is part of what the church is for. It is also that we would stay on right course of action. One step out of the proper path is dangerous. Because when we start going off, it's in intervals. It's little by little. And then when we look around, we're someplace totally different. So if you remember Pilgrim's Progress and them supposing to stay on the right path, one slight detour. You could be going the right way for a long period of time. That one slight detour takes you all the way out. The beauty of the church, of being able to say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, is this preservation is, is divine. No one else can preserve you, but it's also complete. It is a preservation guarding us against all evil. This preservation is everlasting. This, this preservation is for now and forevermore. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. 
So to be considered like God's church, God's people, those that come into his house should bring about great joy. When we enter the house of the Lord, we're home. We're not visitors who have to limit our access and our activity in another home. Our boys live independent from us now. When we go to their house, we're visitors. When they come to our house, they're home. I don't know how much I like that, but it's okay. Like, I don't mind the fact that they're home and they could just act like they're home. But, you know, like, it'll be those little things that annoy you, like stupid things. Like, like I get frustrated for, like, little dumb stuff that don't even matter. Something like, okay, like, you haven't been here for a long time and now you've come. You go to the snack drawer, you open up the cabinet. That's fine. You know, you can have a snack. But, like, let's just say you grab a handful of peanuts. Right? They're not like tossing them in their mouth one by one. No, I'm going to take a handful and I'm going to eat that like all at once. And like for me, like, should that matter? Like, it, it probably is the same handful as if they eat, have eaten it one by one. But it like annoys me. When I go to that house, I just don't, like, go in their refrigerator. Matter of fact, you know when people, like, it's like new money people, where, where they have to show, like, no, this is mine. Like, look what I have, right? Old money people don't do that. Still got a beat-up car. You don't know how much money I got in the bank. But new people that just possess something, now you go, um, and they're like, that's my seat. What? Yeah, sit over there, Dad. But um, when you enter the house of the Lord as his child, you're home. You're not a visitor. You don't have limited access and activity as if you were in someone else's home. No, we're in our father's home. And we are both free and safe. We're secure. And, and we should say because of that, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because the church is, is where we come to worship God and community, where we learn, where we grow, where we work, where we worship, where we praise the Lord. It is a hospital for the sick. It is a compass for the lost. It is where we call, or call the called out ones gather. The church is the body of Christ, which he is the head. What joy that should bring us. The church is serious business. Those that are called to be servants in the church, it is no small matter. Just think about this for a minute. When you look at a country, our country or any other country, and you want to find a reason that it's either flourishing or it's not flourishing, whether its citizens are happy, whether its citizens are blessed, you know what we look at? We look at the governmental structure. Not only the governmental structure, but we look at those that are in leadership because there's a direct correlation to what kind of structure you have, and who the leaders are, and that depends on if the people are happy and blessed. The same could be said about a smaller community. The same could be said about your household. I remember sometimes when I would come home from work when I was in a bad mood. And when I'm in a bad mood, I don't like usually take it out on other people. I'll just get real quiet. But because 
I usually walk in the door with a certain level of exuberance, excited to see the people at home walking in real quiet, I already have a serious face, disrupts like the whole household. When they, people start like walking on pins and needles. Now, I don't want to do nothing to set them off. So, so just think about how that is in, in your home or how that is in your community or what that means for the country. Actually, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. So, so the question becomes, what is the governmental structure and who holds what position matters? The same is true for the church. But what is the church? The church is the outpost for heaven. It is the embassy of heaven on earth full of God's representatives his ambassadors on official business, enacting God's kingdom business. That's what the church is. The business of souls, the eternal souls of men and women. It is not to be taken lightly. It's more important business than, than you may think. So then the question becomes, how is the church governed? Well, we start with Christ is the head of the church. That we know. Scripture informs us. What about the rest? How are we informed of the model to use in such serious business when we're talking about the souls of men and women? Why, why am I spending so much time to bring clarity to this matter? Because um, it matters because of what's at stake. Because the ramifications are eternal. Because the function of the church matters so much in our lives. Because if Jesus tarries, we have the opportunity to be used as his instrument to continue to build on a foundation that has already been laid for those that came before us. Because we have an opportunity to be truly light of the world. Because, because somebody's going to walk in and they're going to need a savior and they're going to need to receive the words of life. Because somebody's going to walk in and they're going to need an anchor for their weary soul. Because people walk in and need rest for their overwhelmed heart. They need peace for their mind that is in turmoil. Because somebody walks in and they need for us to love them. They need us to, to walk beside them. So the structure of the church matters. So we want to model the church how? We want to model the church with a biblical model. What does the Bible say? We want it to be informed by Scripture. And one thing that I could tell you about being informed by Scripture, often it is against what the world is saying. See, because God doesn't change, nor does his word. And it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what tradition you come from. It's what does the word of God say. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why? It's a big statement. It's because every house you enter is different. When it comes to the church, the question is, my soul needs continual maintenance. Where do I make my home? 
You, you shouldn't be jumping around from church to church, listening to any old thing. It's like, where am I going to make my home? I want my church home to be one that is informed by the biblical text, that is filled with the Holy Ghost. It needs to be, what does the Bible say? It needs to be a church uh, with a high view of Scripture and everything they do and in everything they say. Godly stewardship requires continual evaluation of the principles of leadership to determine if they're consistent with the Word of God, specifically with the New Testament. Well, we have reason for great joy this morning. We will be installing a deaconess this morning. The term that's used for deacon was used to designate one that was chosen to serve the members of the church. He or she was defined as a servant. The concept and choosing of deacons is disclosed in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, where there was distribution of food to the widows, the Greeks and Jews, and there were arguments over fair distribution. So it came a point where those that were leading the church said, we cannot spend our time doing this. We are called to preach and to pray. So they set a criteria and they called seven men that would do this job so that they could continue doing what they do. There's two models for positions in the church in the New Testament. You have deacons and you have elders. So the credentials for a deacon is detailed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Starting at verse 8, it reads this way, deacons likely must be Dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy or dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things." that deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So it appears that, that this language is kind of male-dominated. And as we've studied these things, if you look in the Greek, there's a little ambiguity in there. But then we also have models in other places in Scripture that we look to as well. One of them is found in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, speaking about a woman, Phoebe. Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant, which there the word for deacon is used, and it says, a servant of the church that is in Caesarea that may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Though uh, many interpret this uh, informally, uh, in, informally as uh, just a servant with a, a heart to serve, um, the thing is, she was in that position in a very specific place. So where that word in the Greek is used in other places is used in kind of a servant kind of throughout. This is specific to 
a position that a person had. And she was sent by Paul to deliver a, a, a letter and was told by the church, hey, I'm sending this person who's there, who's already a patron, who already gives to this church, and this is her position. So um, there's other examples of it as well in Scripture. So at this time, I would like to call up Alma Enriquez, and I'd also like to call up the leadership to come so that we can pray for her. So one of the things that, um, that we do here is we pay attention. We, we, we're called to. We watch people's lives. And God is the one who brings people to our attention. We're always in prayer. We're always looking for the church to be healthy and for the church to grow. So I'm going to ask Alma a couple of questions. My sister, this church is giving you the honor and great responsibility in selecting you to the office of deaconess. Will you accept this responsibility and strive to fill the position to which you are called and to promote the interests of the church to assist the pastor whenever you can do so and to look out for the poor and needy of the church, seeing that none shall suffer for material aid so far as it be in your power to prevent? I do as the Lord helps me. Will you affirm your allegiance to Christ, the church, and the scriptures? I do with the Lord's help. Will you accept the office of deaconess in this church and promise faithfully to perform the duties required in this office? I do with the Lord's help. Will you promise to cooperate with the pastor <laughs> and to further the interests of this church in promoting its harmonious and effective working of all its ministries? I do with the Lord's help. Will you, the members of the church, acknowledge and affirm this sister as a deaconess? Will you esteem her, encourage her, and cooperate with her as she performs the duties of the deaconess? Can you do that for me while my hands are full? I now charge you in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost that you ever strive to fill your office to the best of your knowledge and that you will seek divine guidance to all of your work. Father, I thank you. I thank you for my sister. As we just laid out the serious business of the church, this is about souls, Lord. So we acknowledge, we confess, and we declare, we need you, Lord. I ask that you would place a hedge of protection around her, around her marriage, around her children and grandchildren, Lord, that you would continue to guide and direct her steps. I thank you, Lord, for this mature woman who will be an example to other women, that they would be able to come to her and ask questions, Lord, that she would be available, Lord, that she would set an example, Lord. We thank you for the body of believers, for each one and what you have called each one to, Lord. We thank you for bringing Alma to LWC. And we look forward to what you're going to do in her 
and for her and through her. So we place her in your care, Lord. And we look forward to how you're going to use her ministry to bless us all. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We also have reason for great joy this morning because we're going to um, install an elder. An elder is, is different than a deacon. All leaders are to lead with a servant's heart. An elder is in a position of spiritual authority, shepherding, governing, and guiding the local church. Elders uniquely are charged with teaching and giving spiritual oversight to the whole church. To be sure, deacons will need to make decisions about resources, calling on others, and, and those type of things, but elders are charged with shepherding the flock. Elders stand ready to give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Elders are, will answer to God for the spiritual welfare of individual souls. Hebrews 13, verse 7, and then verse 17 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their ways, of their life, and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. This concept of elders we see where Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesians when he was going to depart from them. And he said, but I do not account my life as any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among of whom I am gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God, which he ordained with his own blood. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that the three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Elders are mature in, in their person. They are overseers in their function, and they are shepherds in the manner in which they go about their function. I'd like to call up Frankie Gonzalez's family Frankie 
How long have you been a, a, a deacon here, Frankie? A long time. <laughs> I think when I came, he was already a deacon. I know he's been in this church much longer than I've been in this church. These are the qualifications for overseers. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he is desiring a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You must, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how would he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up and conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There must be, when you trust a person, a cause for trust. How do you establish trust? Especially in this context, you watch their life. You watch their consistency. You watch their love for God. You watch their love for the church. You watch for the evidence of spiritual gifts in their lives. To trust in this manner goes far past the way you would trust a friend. It is entrusting someone to partner with you to steward the church that God has called you to shepherd. It's no small thing. It's no small thing. Frankie, do you accept the Bible as God's inspired, infallible, inerrant, immutable, and destructive, and indispensable word? 100%. Do you understand the requirements, responsibilities, and realities that are about to be placed upon you by installing you and that you are set apart as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I do, the Lord being my help. Are you ready and willing to accept and assume the responsibility to pursue, to pursue preach, and practice God's word with boldness, to minister to the needs of those to whom you are sent without partiality, and to give yourself sacrificially and without reserve to the educating, edification, and equipping of the body of Christ. I do, the Lord being my help. Will you endeavor to be diligent in the study of God's word, instant and faithful in prayer, an example in Christian piety and discipline before your people and the community in order that your life may be worthy, a worthy Christian example and that upon your ministry, the blessing of God may rest. I do, I do the Lord being my help. Recognizing the sacred responsibility of your call and aware of your human weakness Will you seek the leadership and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in order that you may be a faithful minister of him who has called you? 
Yes, I will. I charge you to pursue the word of God. Paul charged Timothy, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhorting, to doctrine. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Paul further charged Timothy to be diligent, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I also charge you to practice the word of God. I also charge you to preach the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you equip who you call. You have called this man. There is an evidence in that as we see in his life. I thank you, Lord, for the leading of your spirit. I thank you for the grace and mercy you have displayed in his life. I thank you for his ministry and how it has blessed each and every one of us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, as I look at his children, each and every one of them are serving. I thank you, Lord, for his wife. I thank you for the support she is to her husband. I thank you for the mother she is to her children. And I thank you for who she is to the church because she is truly a mother of the church. She loves your church. She gives each one of their children give. As we look at their faces, there's not one unfamiliar. Oh, Lord, you have truly blessed this man. And he is truly a blessing to this place. So I pray that you would place a hedge of protection around him, Lord. Knowing, Lord, that the fight is going to get more fierce. But I trust, Lord, that he will fight for the cause of Christ by your strength to the day he dies, Lord. I ask that you would keep him and his family, each person on the stage, each person in the seats, Lord. This is truly an embassy come down from heaven to be about kingdom business. Let us not take these things casually, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I ask the congregation, will you support? Will you give an attentive ear? Will you Submit to the leadership and the direction that God has called Elder Frankie to in this place. I just want to say um, thank you. Um, I love this church. I love each and every one of you. Um, it is an honor. Um, the weight of the calling is not lost on me. Uh, I take this very seriously. I do covet your prayers uh, because we do know the, the attack will intensify. But God is faithful, Amen. and he's never left me or forsaken me. 
when I think about my outlook, uh, just reflecting on Hebrews 11, the people of faith uh, of old, and they were commended, and they had not received the promise, though. They couldn't see it yet because there, there was something else, something that was more special that was going to be left for us uh, before they could go in. And in, in, in Hebrews 12, uh, the writer says, uh, lay aside every weight and burden and run this race. Uh, run this race. And, and, and my outlook to you and my call to you is going to be, come on, let's run. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So as we look to Christ, God will be faithful to us. That's our only source of hope, of joy, of peace. I love you. Please pray for us. Pray for my family. Pray for my wife. I love my wife. She's an incredible wife and a mother. <laughs> God bless you all. Amen. So we have um, the story right. The handsome guy in the blue jacket is... Uh, son-in-law, and one of the sons is at home sick, which would be Lucas, but uh, they have a whole trot. <laughs> would you stand, church? As we await that time of eternal clarity, when the perfect comes and the, and the partial will pass away, it's coming a day where there'll be perfect clarity. We strive to be a church that is led by his spirit and informed by his word. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, church. Let's meet in the lodge together with joy and celebrate the goodness of the Lord.